0: <laughs> Whoa, hey, hey, how you doing? Where am I? I'm in a strange undisclosed location coming to you live. Actually, this is not live. This is pre-recorded with a very special surprise. I am so stoked to bring this to you, Alex Proyas, one of the best directors out of the 90s. I mean, this dude directed The Crow, but he also did the equally incredible Dark City from 1998. He also did a a movie called Garage Days, iRobot, Knowing with Nicolas Cage. He did Gods of Egypt. He has a studio where he's doing all sorts of really cool, independent virtual filmmaking, as well as a streaming platform. Man, I am so honored to have him here on the channel to speak. We, we spoke about some really cool stuff. He talks about his new project that he's currently crowdfunding. It's in post-production. You're going to hear more about that. This was really a treat. We get into some really deep philosophical stuff and uh, he, man, he's such a good, I asked him some pretty heavy questions at the end and he gave some really, really thoughtful answers. So man, Just enjoy. Make sure you check out his crowdfunding campaign. Also check out our Patreon. The Patreon makes everything go. Also, what would an introduction be without talking a little bit about the Patreon? Patreon is the lifeblood. It it contributes to the overhead of all the us operations. It's not something that you want to miss out on. There are unreleased videos and behind-the-scenes videos and videos that are not meant for public consumption on YouTube. You'll also find missing parts of that Eerie Vaughn interview we did. There's three parts of that Eerie Vaughn interview can only be seen on the Patreon. The Lodi files. What is the Lodi files? Secret shows. Make sure you check out the Patreon. And again, a big thank you to Alex and Hannah for setting this all up and putting it together. Let's chat with the ones. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. So I've decided to make a Patreon. What is Patreon? I don't know how to define a Patreon. Let me look it up. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it very easy for creators to get paid for the things that they're already creating. I want to do it full time. I want this to be my full time job. In my efforts to make that happen, I've set up this platform. Is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? I don't know. But I would rather try and crash and burn than not try at all. The goal is to create enough passive revenue so that I can continue to do this full-time, uninterrupted. Why? Because I love to do this. I love creating content. I love making videos. I love shooting films. I love doing podcasts. In case you couldn't tell, I love to talk, and I never shut the fuck up. (laughs) So right now, I've kept the Patreon incredibly simple. There's two tiers, and that may change in the future. The Murdergram is a simple way to extend support, For all of the hours and hours of free content on the channel for nothing more than a dollar. 38 cents goes to Patreon. What's a buck 38, eh? It's less than a cup of coffee. But it's a great way that you can show support for very little effort. When you divide that dollar 38 by the hours and hours and hours of time spent listening to this endless drivel of content the dollar cost average works out next up is the YouTube casualty for six dollars and sixty (laughs) six cents the YouTube casualty is loaded to the gills enjoy the archive ad-free as well as ad-free early access to special docu-style podcast videos music reaction commentaries and the like a month before they drop on YouTube loaded with ads, I might add. You're also going to get exclusive content and behind-the-scenes content that is not available on YouTube or anywhere else. So you get to peek behind the veil. And believe me, there's a couple of choice pieces. Most of all, more than anything, whether you join the Patreon or not, I just wanna thank each and every one of you that comes to the channel, that watches all the shows, that leaves comments, that participates, that subscribes—that's really the most important thing. This is just trying to find a way to earn a living as an artist. And with that, thank you for my TED talk. Join the Patreon because we need you.
1: Sixty-six cents. I've oh, been yes. blessed with a simple Greek name.
0: Yes, I've
1: only two syllables, which is uh, very unusual for a Greek person. So. There you go.
0: Right. It's generally, it's a very, very, uh, they, those names can be very extensive, very long. Oh yeah. Many syllables. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. First of all, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, the, the very first thing I want to know personally is what is the Heretic Foundation and what is, tell me more about the, the Mystery Clock Cinema.
1: Well, Mystery Clock Cinema is my production company that has been around for, for many years um, and produces my, my films um, and any other uh, video content these days, it's called, that I, that I, um, that I make. Um, Heretic Foundation is not a group of uh, warlocks and witches. Um, it's not, not a satanic cult, as some people believe. Um, it's actually called Heretic Foundation because we are trying to do things in a very, very different way. We're sort of breaking the 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 model of the film the filmmaking of the film industry that we refer to it as, and we're rebuilding it from the ground up. And it's all through the uh, the, the 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 basic underlying structure of virtual production, uh, which allow, I don't know how much you know about that method of. Uh, their methodology but it's a way it's a way to create entire environments uh virtually in a computer um, and then marry your live action or sometimes not even your live action to uh to a environment that is a virtual environment um, so the simple nutshell version of that is it, it it breaks the paradigm of production completely and rebuilds it in a new way which means you can, shoot in a you know small single set you can um use you can you've got a smaller crew uh you can shoot faster and more expediently where you know you can change locations at the press of a button um, and therefore it lowers the whole overhead of production right down and allows people like myself and many others who have a very visual approach and like to build worlds I don't need the $150 million budgets that Hollywood insists upon to do that. I can do it for a fraction of the cost and not sacrifice my level of imagination. Um, So that's the simple version that I can give you.
0: You know, you know what movie actually immediately comes to mind when you talk about that? Well, two things come to mind. One, uh, I'm immediately thinking of say a a show like the Mandalorian on Disney plus, which utilizes the, like that. It's not, it's not green screen. It's, LED backdrops that you put your actor in and you can do all sorts of insane things on in an incredibly enclosed space. And the other thing that it makes me think of is movies like uh, George Miller's Mad Max Fury Road, which, you know, it wasn't I mean, it wasn't uh, at the beginning. I know you you were a proponent of digital cameras very early on. Um, but you know, uh, I believe George Miller shot that all digitally, and a lot of the stuff was done practical. But also, he he was um, he was doing a lot of blending. He was blending a lot of practical stuff with mm-hmm. uh, light use of CGI. And while that wasn't an enclosed space, and yes, that was a ginormous production and had tons of moving parts, I do believe that a, a similar philosophy sort of exists. Right? Would you would you say that's kind of correct a little bit? Well, I've been
1: doing virtual production since uh, iRobot. iRobot was actually the first uh big feature film to incorporate these techniques. And it was built for a specific scene where I had Will Smith running around a thousand robots and I we had no set, we had no robots, we had nothing. It was Will there running was, around that great. was
0: no there was no set for that.
1: No. Um and so uh we wow. we developed my VFX. Experts on the production developed a methodology, a way of uh, linking the camera, the film camera, it was film in those days, to a very crude computer model. So I could actually see when the when the camera was going to see Will through the lines of non-existent robots, you know, and it was all done in post. Cut to uh, something like, and, you know, Gods of Egypt, I did entirely virtual on wow. screen. Wow. Um, uh, so And then cut to Mandalorian, which has kind of brought this term virtual production into the lexicon, right? Uh, but this is stuff that we've been doing for 20, 20 or more years, you know. Wow. Um, uh, and and what they did on Mandalorian, which was, a, I guess, a, a, a good value add to the methodology, was incorporated LED screens, right? Which have now become part of the the, the way of doing it. Green screen works better for some scenes. LED works better for other scenes um but Mandalorian of course and I robot and Gods of Egypt was the you know the big budget version um of all this stuff and so Heretic is about empowering indie level filmmakers um because the paradigm that's been shifting in the last few years is and I think Gods of Egypt was partly responsible for killing this in Hollywood is the big budget original fantasy or science fiction film you know those films are no longer made um because uh, sadly many you know the last few that were made didn't do as well at the box office as the it's a tragedy would have liked you know um and that's my wheelhouse that's what i do i do original fantasies i like to come up with stuff in my head that's set in some bizarre context and see it realized that's my mantra as a filmmaker um so I, you know, a few years ago, I decided, well, how do I make this methodology able to support my my type of filmmaking? Um, and of course, as you would know, as you lower the budget of a film, you don't have the suits breathing down your neck and saying, right. oh, that's you know, sure. the fear that comes from working in this genre, you know, even if I could get the budget for something like this. so. So now I'm engaged on several projects that are my own IP that are all set, one set in, in um, Edwardian UK. It's a you know fantasy ghost story, revenge story um, set in the 1920s UK. One is set in a, in a fictitious environment that's ba- that looks a bit like Metropolis, the movie Metropolis. Um, and another one is set in a virtual version of Heaven. Um, and I couldn't do any of these projects without this technology that I've developed, um, or at least streamlined into being useful to that, that lower end of indie filmmaking. You know?
0: Um. So tell me a little bit more. I, I want to touch back to what you were saying, but I want to first discuss for a moment. Uh, tell me about the... Indiegogo uh, fundraiser, crowdfunding campaign that you were doing for Dark Sister, which is a proof of concept uh, that you will be using this, uh, plugging this story into this stop this methodology of filmmaking. Uh, tell me a little bit about Dark uh, Sister.
1: Um, Dark Sister is the is we made two short films. We've almost made two short films. Dark Sister isn't quite yet complete, but it's getting close. Uh, using this this methodology um, and shooting it in our very uh, humble stage in Sydney um, green screen stage, um, and so uh, we are it's a it's a methodol it's a proof of concept really for the methodology to show you can do very high end visuals uh, sustain a narrative. It's a twenty five minute short film um in this world where nothing is real like literally the the only reality the only thing that's real that we're pointing cameras at are the actors everything else even the furniture that they're um that they're using the um the the car they're driving the limousine they're in everything is completely virtually created um and to try and show that it's and to prove that it is Possible to to make a film this way on a budget, you know, and I'm really thrilled with the results. I think they're they're quite extraordinary. Um, the the work that our team is is creating, I completely buy the reality, and um, to the point where we're showing people this footage, and we have to show the green shot in relationship to the footage for them to understand, because they just look at it and go, oh, okay, so what's what is it a v what's a VFX in this scene they just don't get it because it's done so seamlessly you know um so that's what D- dark sister is and and then the feature length version which is called sister darkness is uh, what we are going to be um, uh, tackling in the next uh that's that's down the track somewhere we're going to be doing that next year
0: and uh for anybody who wants to support the production and get more involved uh from the crowd uh crowdsourcing Side of things, there'll be a link down in the description to the Indiegogo uh, for Dark Sister, where you can learn more about everything and support uh, support the creation of this. Is like this is true uh, indie indie film these days. It's indie film, but it's not indie by any means in the sense that you have this uh, very sophisticated uh, methodology. Uh, I'm curious to know too where does so uh, what have you seen the new Avatar and where does so, what Jim Cameron does uh, sort of fit into everything that um, that you're speaking about here in in this interview, in terms of like um, putting actors into like em- uh, immersive environments that they can't see. Um, have you seen the 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 newest Avatar film? Sure.
1: Yeah. 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 yeah no, I think it's it's, it's extraordinary, and uh, as was the first one in its day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: so uh, truly uh immersive in its reality um which is what you aim for yeah uh, look again it's it's the high end of the very high end of um the methodologies that we're that we are using but the thing is all the all this all these methods are becoming more and more affordable uh and it's really you know now in the last year or or six months or so the advent of AI is going to supercharge this stuff even more. I mean, it's really quite amazing what that's going to be able to do. Um, that was
0: my very, and, that is what I wanted yeah, to ask well, you next. It all, all roads lead to AI.
1: <laughs> uh, that's the word on everyone's lips at the moment or the words on everyone's lips. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and we've been embracing and, and exploring those avenues as well, Um Look, because heretic is a—it's a small. We're a small group. We're not—we're not a ILM or a Weta or anyone like that by any level of of, of imagination. Uh, we're a very small core group of about 12 people, and so we're very nimble and we can move very quickly. I can come in in on in the morning and say, "Hey, why don't we try this?" And you know, in the afternoon we're getting results. Whereas the big companies, you know, it takes a long time for them to steer around. They're like the ocean liner. We're like the speedboat. You know. Um, so we can explore all this stuff very, very quickly. And so there's already, you know, Avatar took years to make, um, as will the next one take years to make. Right. Uh, and they are plugged into a very specific methodology, which embraces all the old techniques. And by old, I mean like, you know, last year's techniques, probably. Um, whereas we are in a position to jump on new things and explore those. So so for us, AI right now and how we're using uh, multiple platforms to talk to each other, to create environments um, and also characters. We're starting to get into the character development side of things with AI as well. It's it's mid journey. It's so Mid-journey. exciting. Well, it's a combination of several platforms. Mid journey is one of them. And they all have we, we are embracing them all and they all have their merits and their and their and their downsides you know um and so we're getting them all to talk to each other and and work with each other so you take you develop one part in one platform feed it into another platform and vice versa so the human being who has to manage that cross pollination uh and i want to stress human beings are still very important and very much part of this process you know that there is as important as ever um but what this is what AI is doing, of course, is, is um expediting the process, allowing you know one person to create so much more. And look, you know, um, there's no question that AI is taking some people's jobs away. No question, that's gonna happen. I mean, this is the you know, this is uh foretold by science fiction many years ago, right? Yeah, but um, this
0: is this is and- like this is just a a, a natural byproduct of of technology and, and human civilization, there's always technology that comes along.
1: And that's what I was going to say is this is the progress that, that, you know, video technology, just as one component has been on this course for a long, long time. And AI has been used in video production for, for 20 or 30, 20, 25 years now. Um, uh, You know, so this is just, the next next level of that. So I don't believe there's anything to fear from it. You know, some some people, yes, of course, you know, some people, their work is going to be severely impacted. But I urge those particular individuals to embrace this technology rather than standing in a corner and fearing it and using it to to supercharge their own creative input, their own creative efforts. I think that's really the healthy way to look at it. And not be too concerned that it's going to destroy humanity, which maybe it will. But if it does, there's nothing we can do about it. Let's party while we can. you know. Let's
0: party while we can. I mean, yeah. you, of, of all people to talk about AI with and filmmaking, I mean, you are like you're like at the number one on my list because it's like. First of all, you made iRobot, which deals with the three lo- uh, robotic laws, uh, or three robotic laws, or whatever uh, of ethics for for robots, as well as the um, uh, what's it called the uh, 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 the zeroth law, which is zeroth law, yeah. Uh, uh, spoilers if you haven't seen an almost twenty year old movie iRobot is basically the idea that uh, AI will try to save or no, AI cannot um uh, something about inaction. AI will will not harm humanity through and will not harm humanity through inaction as well. And that's yeah. basically go watch a go watch iRobot to to get the full gist of that. But, it's just interesting because i think at the core of it the 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 thing that people are so afraid of and getting so charged up about and you know all the hysteria i think it really comes down to that being possibly the most concerning thing when i think about what concerns me about ai it's something that it's where ai doesn't may not understand nuance ai may not understand they may be it may be too literal it may be not literal enough and that's where things could go haywire but at the end of the day especially when it comes to filmmaking and you know i'm you know i understand especially with the wga strike and everything that's going on right now and and writers are up in arms about very serious issues that could affect that that will affect them um at the same time i do watch their movies like i was just at the movies the other day with my son we were at alamo and You know, no matter what anybody thinks or doesn't think about Marvel movies, we were watching Guardians of the Galaxy three and I'm watching it and I'm just going, I'm thinking to myself, I started thinking about AI and I just go, I, I, I don't, I understand the concern, especially from like a writer's perspective, but there's just, I just don't understand how AI could ever capture heart or there are just these human things that go into writing that I don't think an artificial intelligence will ever be able um, to perfectly nail there. There, You need the human element of creativity needs to be there to, to further flesh out specific nuance that maybe AI will never be able to understand.
1: Oh, look, I don't think you can say that. I don't think you can ever say that. Um, it's a bit like the scene in iRobot robot where, um, where Will Smith's character says to Sonny, the robot, um will you ever be able to you know write a symphony will you you ever be able to write a a great oh yeah 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 and sonny says can you um and you know that's an interesting point because you know that's a fundamental kind of misunderstanding of what the creative process is um uh you know look i don't you know none of us know how far it's going to go i mean it begs the question of what is what is intelligence what is consciousness you know
0: right when That's when the core will of
1: machines it. when will machines become self-aware will they become self-aware right we don't know that we don't know the answers to those questions um um there's no question for me though on the on the flip side that if you feed in um 10 seasons of a and and look before i say this I've tried, you know, I I jumped onto Chad GPT. Yeah,
0: GPT. Yeah, and went,
1: okay, Chad GPT, let's see you write a script. And it was the most ridiculous experience I've ever had. (laughs) Uh, The worst co-writer I've ever had, you know. (laughs) I I started off going, okay, write me a 100-page script. Off you go. Here are the characters. Boom, you know. It was, couldn't do it, you know. And then it wrote me the most formulaic, ridiculous thing that I would have had to feed so much stuff into it to align it into something, as you say, with a heart or something with a human, you know, vision. Right. Um, that I might as well just write it myself, you know, or work with a really good co-writer, which would, a human co-writer, which would be much better. Um, however, I believe even now probably, and, you know, Chad GTP is very good at writing, uh, you know, university papers and whatever, you know, um, because it, they those don't rely on that narrative that human narrative that right. human heart the human soul to be to be to be put into it but i tell you what ChatGPT gpt is awfully good at mimicking so if you feed it 10 seasons episodes uh, of a successful tv series um uh there's no question that if it can't write you it season 11, so that even the audience who love that, the fans of that show can probably not tell the difference, um, I would be surprised, right? So that's now hitting the WGA hard. And look, I'm WGA, right. don't get me wrong, and, and I like my WGA, you know, brothers and sisters, so
0: of course, of uh, course,
1: it's hitting that. Part of the industry hard. It's going to hit it really hard, and I completely understand why they're stopping, trying to stop the floodgates. They're not going to succeed. The floodgates are going to open, right? Because as, as soon as people can make money or can increase their bottom line, they're going to do it. The corporations are going to do it. There's no and and studios. There's no, to, there's no way you're going to legislate it, right? Yeah. So Okay, he says. Look, I'm not concerned about that particular part of it, other than as I say, for for my my colleagues in the WGA, who I don't want them to to see them at it without it without work. But what I do, I honestly don't care. I mean, I'm I'm a, I I'm only doing my own IP at the moment. I'm writing it all. As I say, I've tried Chat GPT to come up with an original story. It's fucking hopeless, you know. <laughs> um, and so I'm, you know, for me, I'm using AI in the areas that I can expedite my methodology, which is in the visual, creating visuals, sure. creating, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, um, and I see nothing but upside there, you know. Um, there's an anecdote that I often relate about, um, you know, in the 1990s, I would go into an elevator in New York City and there'd be this old guy sitting on a stool Who'd, who'd say to you, uh, what floor would you like? And you'd say, oh, 27, and he'd press the button for you, right?
0: Right, you'd right, of course, yeah.
1: And that guy was there in that lift before before it was automated when, yeah. you, know, the when you had to do Bellhops. that. Bell hops, bell yeah. hops. and you had to open up the cage. Sure, people, I, sure used, I used to right. use one of those, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the unions were ensuring that he was there till the day he wanted to retire, even though his job was completely redundant, right? There's automation and technology making someone redundant. um and and I fear that you know there's a, a lot of people in a lot of industries right now who are in that position. So unless you can retrain, move into another area, you're going to end up as that guy in that in that in that automated elevator, you know? Um, so and maybe not even that because you know the corporations are certainly have a much more of a stranglehold on on work and unions and stuff these days, and they did back in that day in New York City, you know. So um, there you go. I think that's the simple version of the world we're in right now.
0: thoughts, especially just considering all those things. And I wonder, I mean, I can only imagine how you've watched AI grow. And I mean, probably, I mean, AI has probably been on your radar a lot longer than the general consciousness because uh, from just making that movie. And you just seem like, you know, just from the movies that you make, you seem like you're really, you're just, you're really into all sorts of um, philosophical and deep Sort of uh, topics. And before we launch into, I really want to talk about Dark City. But before we talk about Dark City, I, I have, first of all, Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor, my absolute favorite actor. I'm in awe of Nicolas Cage. My, my, I have a goal to watch every single Nicolas Cage film at least once, even the ones that he does that are like, you know, the direct to TV ones. I watch everything this man does because I am in awe of his craft. I think I'm I think I'm at like sixty something out of 127 movies, whatever. So I watch everything. It does not matter if it if Nicolas caged in the movie, I will watch it, including Knowing, which I loved. I haven't I did not get a chance to rewatch it before we did this interview, and it's been a, it'll be a fresh revisiting for me. But I want to know what was it like to work with this man? Who, by the way. Just to, just to, to put a, a period at the end of this question for you, or to a punctuation, in my mind, Nicolas Cage never delivers a bad performance. Nicolas Cage is like tofu. He is going to taste like whatever you season him with, and if he's got a really sharp, good director, he's, it's going to make him fire on all cylinders. And if there's a maybe a, a lesser director or the more trying production, it 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 will everything is everything will sort of find its level with a guy like Nicholas Cage. He just he could do no wrong in my eyes. What was it like working with him? What was that experience like? I have to know
1: uh, Nick's a great, great person and a absolutely terrific actor. Um, and it was a joy. It was a joy. It was like one of the most joyful experiences I've had working with with an actor, um, because mainly because, um, other than th- it's just cool to hang out with Nick, um, the he is uh, fully invested in the story and the character, and he's never for a moment think standing away and looking at him. His performance or the way he looks or anything as Nicolas cage the the movie star you know he just doesn't care about that stuff he truly is a leading man but also a character actor you know he embraces mm. um and it's you know it's wonderful to to see what he can deliver because it is a lot of the times it's completely unexpected uh you know with my with almost all other actors, you can kind of go, okay, well, I know where this is going to go. And you, you've you got to step in and actually sometimes challenge them to get something that you're after or something just to put a color, a different color or a different spin on the on the character. Uh, and And it, it usually revitalizes a scene, which maybe doesn't have a lot in the words to keep it, to give it momentum, you know, with Nick, that's never the case. He's always coming at it from a completely left field unexpected mm. way um and he's a you know he's he's experimental in in his he's a, I call him a surrealist and he's fully experimental in his in what he's doing as an actor he's constantly challenging himself and trying new stuff which is what I what I do as a filmmaker so we're very compatible in that respect um and, uh and yeah no look I'd I put him in every movie that I could um if if I had the, if I had the luxury of doing that um but uh no it was a it was a complete joy you know in many many situations where he just make me laugh because of his approach to it all right which is great you got you need to laugh on a film sure you know? you sure so we're doing a scene in um towards the end of the film when, you know chaos is breaking out and he's driving his truck through uh thousands of people right we had i think we had two thousand extras in this scene who were all going nuts because the world's going to blow up and stuff and they're all running around and trying to save themselves right and he's slowly working his way out of out of out of the scene and so we do a take and then we you know stunt people were like throwing themselves off bridges and whatever the hell was going on we do a take and then we with the you know the 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 car guy would jump in and drive the car back so that nick could jump back in and get ready to go and so he's back in the car nick's back in the car ready for a second take behind the steering wheel and we, as we're resetting explosions and whatever the hell we were doing you know takes some time but nick rather than going to his trailer ever he's just sitting in the car with this fixed expression and so i thought there must be something going on behind the scenes. that's troubling him. So I walked over to him and I said, "Nick," um, and I had to walk through this crowd because he was right on the other end of the, the shop. And I walked over and I said, "Nick," and he's still focused, you know, staring ahead. Nick, is everything okay? You all right? And he goes, and "He goes, yeah, yeah." And I go, "But, but is that, you know, what's troubling you?" And he goes, "Everything." So it's like just that the whole world was blowing up and he was completely in character, you know, and that's what was troubling him. And and I took it as being, you know, so so basically what that tells you is he was acting the entire time, right? In that car. Um, he didn't want to break out of character, he didn't want to go. And this was for a shot where the car is driving through a crowd. And yeah, we zoom in on him on one on one lens so you see his expression, but any other actor, particularly at his level, would have gone off to his trailer. What you know for the half an hour it took to reset the take, broken out of character, and then come back in and look sad and concerned. But he was in. He was focused in the moment for that entire time, which tells you how invested he is in in the film, the story, and the character.
0: Yeah. Yeah uh he I just the last thing I saw Nick in was um uh Renfield playing Dracula and I read an article about how he shaved down his teeth so that they could they had 3D printed Dracula fangs and he wanted to be able to enunciate with the fangs he didn't want to have fang mouth you know whenever you see someone put in cheap plastic and they're like, oh, what the fuck? like <clears throat> he wanted to have like be able to really speak his dialogue. so he actually had a sheet that his teeth shaved and i just was i was so it made me want to see it even more and man i mean he's just he's so great in it so if you haven't seen renfield yet you got to check out renfield it's really awesome and i know you you know i know you're you're a dracula guy on some level so you know uh, uh yeah yeah definitely, I, ha- I haven't definitely seen check the it film out.
1: yet but I'm, I'm looking forward to it yeah
0: Um, I wanted to, let's talk about, uh, dark city, uh, which has always been just one of my go-to I have, you know, I got go-to films that every, you know, uh, five years, six years, whatever. I'm like, sit down and just have a good rewatch. And, um, dark city came to the Alamo draft house, the director's cut. And so I made sure to, to catch that. And, the last time I watched it, you know, it's funny, like how you have like relationships with movies. I first saw it in 98 and then I saw and and to me it was like, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I actually watched it because Richard O'Brien was in it. who I love Rocky Horror and Richard O'Brien and um, and what an amazing, that's so cool. You got to work with him and stuff. And, um, uh, and you know, every once in a while I'd revisit it be like, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. But this last time I watched it, I like was blown away. This is probably like 2018, I want to say. I was so blown away by what dark city is. And especially when I think about like how dark city is spiritual, there is a lot of spiritual DNA. The matrix takes a lot of its spiritual DNA from dark city, you know, like in the same sense of like reality and perception and and this, that, and the other, um, and I wanted to know when you were making the movie if the like what if this is what I pulled out of it when I was watching it. I wanted to know if this was if you were intending this when you were making the movie. um, this sort of idea about about learning the truth learning what the truth is in life and then taking charge, be uh accepting it for what it is and then taking charge. Of it and making and and doing your best to make it, so make it your own. Make it some make it your own happiness. Because I feel like that's what's what's happening in Dark City. Can you speak? Does that make any sense to you? Did you speak to that at all?
1: Yeah, I mean, you can you can certainly interpret it that way. I mean, it's it really is what is the truth? You know, what is reality? Uh, does it even exist? You know, that's the, that's the the question, um, and that's something that I've been obsessed with all my life and I continue to be obsessed with it I I'm, I've written this film called Heaven that is uh set in a virtual afterlife and um it's it's all the same themes you know I think you hmm. you you're, um you know filmmakers who have a philosophical take on life and the world um tend to just redo the same themes over and over again um even if that you know, even if it's based on other people's uh, original work that they are adapting, they tend to gravitate towards work that speaks to them on the level that they have an underlying feeling about. You know, um, so um, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm I, I don't often go back and look at my films, but I'm but I'm when I if you know I'm in a hotel room and I'm, something comes on and right it's like the car crash you can't look away right (laughs) because i always i have a i'm one of those guys who like it's never finished it's abandoned you know it's sure I, i see the bad stuff the stuff that didn't work and rather than the good stuff you know but sometimes i'll watch things and i'll be struck by how i go hey i've done that like in every other every other movie i've made you know um i go do i actually have an original idea ever or am i just redoing the same stuff over and over again you know um, but it is an obsession. It is something that i'm that i'm I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to find meaning, um as I think many of us are, uh, meaning in our existence. um and uh, you know that to me is is the the reason we're here is to understand why we're here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, will we ever understand why we're here? I don't know. but um, you know, it certainly is fun exploring those ideas.
0: so. I- um, you, you know what it is to to even to even simplify it more it's like the moment when you find that the big reveal for anybody who uh, spoilers on again on a movie that's over two decades old there's the uh, they 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 break through the wall they break through a wall and it turns out that this entire time in what should be i don't know why if they had ever do like a top 10 list of reveals like planet of the apes is really just earth the whole time I feel like Dark City needs to be on that list. This this crazy sort of Kafka-esque world of night that we've been traversing through, that amorphous and, you know, almost like German Expressionist to a certain extent, all of a sudden turns out to be a spaceship in outer space is just one of the biggest what-the-fucks, like, ever. And the idea that the main protagonist who could literally shape reality, he goes, okay. I'm floating through space on a spaceship in the same way that I guess, when you think about earth in a way is a giant spaceship. If you, the first people, if they didn't understand what space was and they somehow had a ladder and they climbed all the way to the top, to the sky and expecting heaven. And then they just saw it was space. They would be in a similar sort of uh scenario. And this is this idea of like, okay, th- this is the world. This is what the world is then the world is in the same way that life is what you make it. The protagonist literally decides that he's going to make the life, that life is what he makes it. And he goes and he turns, he turns his memories, his, I guess, a dream. It's almost a dream, even though it's like a implanted memory, but he makes it a reality. And what is that? What a profound message for life and the lessons of life in where no matter what your circumstances are and obviously resources and all sorts of things, logistics, everything can come into play with that. But this idea that life really is what you make it. And that's the ultimate takeaway that I have when I watch dark city, life is what you make it. This guy is like, I'm floating in space. Okay. I'm not going to, there's no point in trying to escape. I got to turn around and I got to pragmatically do something with this. And it's beautiful, man. It's
1: Thank beautiful. you. Um, and uh, yeah it's uh, it's definitely the case I think in, a, in this modern context that those themes are probably even more pertinent than they were back in the mid 90s when I came up with the idea for the for the story. Um, uh, and but today I think the interesting part of it is how social media allows mm. everyone to have their own little bubble of reality mm. right. And that's being used by the corporations to divide us uh, rather than bring us together because it's to their um, advantage for that process to occur. Um, This is a fundamental, I mean, that's a big, for me, a bigger, much bigger fear than AI uh, and how that's affected in a very negative way, uh, modern society. And look, you know, the upside it all has upsides you know splitting the atom had an upside as well um uh you know we can have a podcast like this due to you know social media etc um but by golly the downside is is uh substantial it um is. now of course with ai that's going to be used to weaponize um, social media as well obviously very
0: nefarious very nefarious um
1: so, so to me, it's the this whole quest for meaning and for truth is great if you're trying to arrive at something that really is a a truth. Um, but if you're being shepherded into a, an an area mm-hmm. by the algorithms of this world <laughs> to embrace a reality that's a false reality then that's of some concern because as i say that will divide that will divide us you know it goes back like when i was a kid everyone could agree on you know what was a good film or what was a bad film right everyone could pretty much agree on that everyone could agree on what was a good political um direction what was a bad political direction today no one can agree on anything there's you know you pick anything um that is, you know, being presented as a uh, a way of thinking, um, and you'll get an equally divided and divisive uh, audience for that for that thing, you know. Uh, and that's down to social media. There's no question that social media has created that world. You
0: know? Um, yeah, no, that, that I mean, that is, it's as you as I was saying it, as soon as you said social media, I was like, oh, I know where he's going with this. I know where he's going with this and you're right it is it's like it's a double like anything else it ends up being a double edged sword um but just in the way that I told you how much I love uh Nicolas Cage I also love Richard O'Brien huge fan and I'm what was it like having a guy like that on your set I mean what a cool uh what a cool experience that must have been to work with him how was Richard O'Brien uh as an Great. actor
1: Oh, look, he was great. Um, he was, um, you know, it's one of the few situations where I actually wrote a character for an actor. Um, as I wrote that for him, I wrote it for him. Yeah. As I was, as I was writing, uh, the script, um, I, it was actually not even so much, uh, based on what I'd seen him do in Rocky horror, of course, which is wonderful, but he had this kid's show on, on, in the UK and, um, and he played a character a little bit like his character in in Dark City,
0: Mr. Hand,
1: kind of a kind of a sl- somewhat dark and contained, <laughs> villainous kind of character for this kids show, you know. And I forget the name of the, kid, of the show. And I just thought, well, he's the guy, you know, he's that guy. So I wrote it based on Richard's portrayal of that character, and um, and uh, I was, you know, again blessed that. Again, one of the very rare situations where I wrote it for an actor, I I I cast the actor, you know, Uh, unheard of in most casting scenarios. Usually you go through many, many people before you get the person that you were thinking of, you know. Um, And, of course, he was great to work with, um, really a lovely man. And um, he actually wrote uh, Dark City the Musical on on the set while we were... What? I mean, jokingly, he didn't really, oh, really oh. Write it, but he would come up with it. he'd have his guitar and he'd like come up with a song and, and cause he just wrote songs all the time and, and uh, he would write the occasional uh, song for a scene in Dark City, which he'd play to me and sing. And I had no time, of course, to go, Richard, please re- write this down, record it. It's probably been lost to
0: Only if only you had, okay, here's a perfect example of where if you had a cell phone and you could literally pull your cell phone out of your pocket, be like, Yeah, just just get a quick video just to cherish, just to like have, right? Yeah, and
1: I so wish I could have done that, but um, Mm. I mean, maybe he's got some, I doubt it. I doubt if he has any record of it. He was just doing it for fun. So
0: that's still that's pretty amazing. And um, You're, you know, I've noticed at least in your early work, in like The Crow and Dark City, particularly, it's something that I that I always just took note of with these two movies, because I there was a certain there was a time where you know I was like I was like oh yeah The Crow oh yeah Dark City, and then one day I didn't I never even noticed that was the same director, and then suddenly I was looking at the miniatures. There's some shots in The Crow where you're scaling up. I think it's to uh, oh god, what the the. The um uh the villain in the crow uh the uh big bad um what's his top
1: dollar top dollar
0: top dollar dollar. dollar. um when he when I think it's in his his lair and it's scaling up and I was going I'm going oh my god I'm like that's I was like and then I that's when I checked on IMDb I was like I was like of course that makes so much sense same freaking director blew my mind blew my freaking mind um as
1: I say I just redo the same thing over and over again so
0: <laughs> but it's awesome like I just give me every one of your movies with like some some rain some lightning and like hey let's do this uh this pan shot pan up on a on a miniature building cuz it looks really 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 cool um all right, I've saved uh, two questions for the end, and I don't know you you may not want to answer either one of these, and I completely respect and understand uh, if you do not. um, but it, I just feel like I'd be so remiss not to at least ask. And uh, the first one is about uh, gods of Egypt. um and, you know, I did I remember when that I remember when Gods of Egypt came out, and I remember the controversy and when i was uh getting ready for this interview there was a detail that i was not aware of you did say you started we started this interview you mentioned uh your greek background but you did not mention your egyptian background which threw in and here's again we've been talking about nuance in a way no we haven't been talking about nuance but we're about to talk about nuance in the sense of just like how things have changed, how people agree and disagree. It was very easy to agree on one thing. Now, everybody, you know, that that what basically everything you were saying before. And I remember thinking back to when that happened in 2016. And I remember it was in my like it was on my radar or something. It was this whole thing about like uh, this notion of whitewashing and this, that and the other. But one detail that was never, ever brought into the conversation. And I'm not here either which way to say anything, have any opinion on it. I'm simply I'm simply uh, uh, there was it was almost a glaring it was a glaring omission. I thought in that whole conversation, dialogue, whatever you want to call it, is the fact that you are Egyptian and that you are making a movie called the gods of Egypt. And whether you have white actors in your movie because they're more bankable or whatever the hell, whatever the hell, whatever the situation is what why how does that something like that get lost in the conversation and why does that not is is there not a little more nuance and disturbing about like okay here's an egyptian here is an egyptian director making a movie about egyptian mythology does the egyptian get a say in any of this public outrage
1: that's a very complex question to answer and 12 minutes but i'll do my i'll do my best um,
0: whatever you feel comfortable saying there's a lot I, of stuff
1: to unpack oh, i feel comfortable talking about it. it's just trying to get it all you know in a, a soundbite version <laughs> um the um look firstly my heritage is i'm greek egyptian my name is greek koreas is a greek name um because uh my father's side of the, my my mother was uh, born in cyprus her family was from cyprus Actually, no, sorry, my mother was born in Egypt, but her family was from Cyprus. Um, my father's side, however, goes right back to, we don't know where, Ptolemy, Alexander, Cleopatra, mm. it goes right back, right? Because the Greeks and the Egyptians coexisted very happily for right. centuries, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Millennia, in fact, um, Yeah, uh, to the point where Cleopatra was, in fact, Macedonian, um, and therefore Greek, you know, um, and there's been a whole other debacle in the last few weeks about Cleopatra being cast in a particular way um which I won't go into for this for Right, this, right, but right right it's been very it's been very interesting to watch you know um uh the um the the so that's where I sit so you know proeus is like Horus Horus is a oh. Greek Horus is a Greek name all right. the gods in the gods of Egypt are Greek names for Egyptian gods, because they were named at the time of the words that we use to describe those gods were named by the Greek culture. Um, And, you know, there is no delineation between Greek, you go back 2000 years or more, three, 4000 years, and you there is no delineation between Greek and Egyptian culture, it was really the same thing, you know. Um, So, so, and egyptians modern day egyptians who are not ancient egyptians who are most you know substantially arab who basically um you know took over the uh the rule of egypt right um in the middle ages you know um and you know the ancient egyptians they're still there and they were all interbred because
0: coptic christians why, too right you've coptic why, coptic that's christians.
1: the nature yeah as the were the christians you know like my family were christian right um as 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 every part of that part of the of the Middle East Mediterranean, it's all interbred. No one cares. it's all part of the same world, you know, and and race was something that was not even considered as being important. We didn't view it in the divisive way that our modern culture is being forced into viewing it, right? So 2016, around that time when Trump was getting in and all that sort of stuff, that this was the this was the ground zero of this bizarre yeah. uh, paradigm shift in American culture, specifically American culture, not so much in the rest of the world, where, where suddenly race became this thing. We were doing so well. I thought we were doing extremely well. I mean, I was aware of the shift between, you know, the 1980s when I first started working in LA, where I actually said to people that I was working with in the production company, hey, why are there any black people working here? You know, and they were like, they all got very embarrassed, you know, to 2016 when, you know, it was a much less divided culture and we were all moving in the in the right direction, fulfilling mm-hmm. um Martin Luther King's mantra of don't judge a man by the color of his skin, you know, the content of his character, you know, we were starting to, you know, America was starting to embrace that concept. Suddenly, we took a sharp turn when race was the identity and race were the be all and end all. And, you know, I was mere collateral, my film was mere collateral damage. So that I, you know, I, when we saw this this discourse starting to happen with gods of Egypt and it, and it happened with Ridley Scott's film, a couple of years earlier, um, gods and Kings, I think it was called, um, same, same thing, you know, the way they dealt with it, the way Rupert Murdoch and Ridley Scott dealt with it when they were said, when, when this af Afri- africo centric concept of, of ancient Egypt was brought up for their film and they right. cast white actors, um, well, they weren't white. They were white actors. Um, you know, their their response was, well, we thought Egyptians were white, you know, and that's kind of equally messed up. But, but look, you know, what I wanted to do, you know, the studio that made Gods of Egypt completely freaked out. My attitude was, let me go on. Let me do media and say, right. hey, I'm an Egyptian. OK, here are the real reasons why. There is a mixture of of different ethnicities in the film. The simple pragmatic uh, results. Uh, the simple pragmatic reasons of there ain't enough Egyptian actors, right? Even if we could find the Egyptian actors who looked exactly right in the context of ancient Egypt, that's not what the film is. The film is a uh, it's an it's an it's an inclusive of all cultures because for me. That's just as ju- justifiable a way to portray those people in that context of ancient Egypt and mythological. It's not even it's real. Myth-
0: it's mythological. It's not, it's historical. not it's historical. Mythology, right? So I went. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, if you if you watch the movie, you'll see that we eventually come out from the entire world, and you realise that Ra is going around this planet. That's Egypt on one side, and the land of the dead on the other. It's a flat mm. earth, and I'm like, yeah. that was my way of saying. Guys this is not real this is a fantasy this is like star wars this is like the first star wars right and it just happens to use ancient egypt as Egypt a, yeah mythology right you know um but they wouldn't let me do that the studio wouldn't let me do that because they were shit scared of what was going on so they chose to make us a sacrificial goat they chose to they went this film's going to get cancelled we're going to throw the actors under the bus we're going to force Proyas to issue an apology Though it went against every one of my my um, you know feelings of, of 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 truth to to do that, but I did it because we were you know there was a we were hitting a world which which I didn't understand at all. I didn't see this coming. Right now, in you know six seven years later, I go okay, I get what was going on there, and I get the reasons for it, and now we're starting to get a shift in the narrative. But in those days. I probably wouldn't have had a hope in hell. I would have been utterly crucified and I would have been canceled as well as the movie, you know. Hmm. Um, so that's this the simplest version I can I can No,
0: give thank you for that. Thank you for that. I it was I again there was a startling detail in in that because I had even forgotten that you had done that movie. And then I remember the controversy and then I was reading about it. I was just going, I'm like, I'm like, the dude's Egyptian. So like, what is what is that? I mean, you know, it just it adds it adds so much to the conversation and you just did a, a very good job of specifically describing it. Um, the, the, we're, we are out of time and I want to thank you again for, uh, for, for taking the time to sit and chat with me. And again, please make sure to check out the, uh, the, in, the Indiegogo. It'll be in the description of the comments. I have one final question I want to ask for Alex and, um, it i again you may not want to answer this question you could pass on it i totally get it um it is something i feel like i would be remiss my one opportunity to speak with you uh and it's about it's about what happened on the set of rust and them continuing production and completing the film which is parallels what happened with you guys on the crow and um i immediately when i heard about rust when i heard what had happened on rust when i saw it in the media i immediately thought of you and that production and uh, it was shocking that 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 you know that that could happen again and um i don't know i what 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 was going through your mind when that when when that exploded on the media all after um,
1: yeah, I was very sad to hear that that was uh and sh- and shocked actually. Of
0: course, of course
1: happened. Um uh look I um I, I don't believe that there's any justification really to use real weaponry uh on the set of a the film these days. Um uh I chose not to use real guns on on uh, Dark City. Um uh by the time I robot came around we uh we were we had incredible safety protocols um put in place we had a very large budget so we could have multiple armorers multiple people making sure that nothing would ever ever happen again um uh but but by golly by today's era um putting in muzzle flashes um yeah on is such an easy thing to do. You can do it on your laptop. I mean, it's really, there's no justification for using real guns, um, particularly on low-budget movies because, you know, I don't care what they say, you, there's always going to be corners that are going to be cut, just as the corners were cut in the production of iRobot, of, um, sorry, of The Crow. Um, and which led to the tragedy, uh, you know, the the corners that were cut by the producers of that film definitely contributed to that situation. Um, and uh, so, you know, Rust, I bet you it was the same situation, you know. Now, is that negligence? Look, I, that's a legal question. Um, but I tell you, the the right now in this day and age, as I say. There's no justifiable reason. Take whatever money you're giving to an armorer, uh, or not giving to an armorer, or whatever the hell is going on behind the scenes, and put it into doing some muzzle flashes in post production. Mm. No one's going to get killed. No one's going to get mm. hurt. You know. Um, so that's that's my simple version of that. You know.
0: Thank you. I thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with me. And again. Uh, an honor. I've been watching your work a long time, and it's an honor to speak with you and wishing you uh, great luck in your uh, crowdfunding campaign. I will definitely keep uh, my eyeballs peeled out. I will keep my eyeballs peeled for that. Thank you. Um